Welcome everybody to the next episode of Veterinary Ramblings. My name is Mike Brampton. And my name is Julian Hode. Mike, was that an Australian hat? Yeah, it was. Yeah. Well, that's a coincidence because tonight we've got an Australian person on. We've got a human nurse. Yep. But I'll tell you, she's going to tell us a story unlike one you've ever imagined before. Absolutely. It'll make your toes curl. And we'll also discover the significance of one chicken nugget. We'll hear about World Championship wheelchair tennis around the world, Ned Kelly, kangaroos, snakes, kangaroos, sharks, and why there's a can in every can't. Let's have it on, shall we? This is the wonderful Marnie Kringle. Hi, I'm Mike Brampton. And my name is Julian Hope. Welcome to Veterinary Ramblings. Here she is. Hello. Hello, gentlemen. How are you? We're excellent. How are you? Pretty good, thank you. Uh, looking, looking behind you there, Marnie, I can see you've got a big poster thing in, in all frames, nice poster picture that says, Marnie to get bionic leg. Now, that came after a long series and, and, and a lot of stuff. So can we wind the clock? right the way mm -hmm. back because once upon a time you were a nurse at the royal free hospital in london at the royal free hospital london i was working there trauma units for a few years which was fantastic mm. Mm. right and then one day you ended up being a patient there not at the royal free i was friends with the ambulance drivers and we used to socialize outside of work and Mm -hmm. do fundraisers and had a good time and when I was I was hit by ran over by a tube train in London and in a city of London I don't know however many people 12 million mm -hmm. the two ambulance drivers that came and picked me up came to me was the, my two of my friends from the Royal Free who oh, presented fun. there it was incredible. Although obviously I was unconscious at the time, wasn't aware. Right. But um, and they were really affected by it. It was devastating. I'm sure. Um, the main injuries. Well, I lost my left leg. Right. It was removed straight away. But that wasn't the main injuries. That was just minor. So they actually left that. They didn't even attend to that. They left it open for over a week. And when I continued to survive, they closed it up. And then, because I was paralysed down my left side with my brain just having massive head injuries. And mm -hmm. when I got the meningitis, and because I had several parts of my brain removed, they just said, look, it's really not worth a while living. So they turned my life support off. And then I just woke, I don't remember waking up. But I just kept on surviving. And then I was paralysed down my left side for a while. And when I had the first cast for my prosthesis, I couldn't even stand for it. I was held upright with metal clamps around the waist. Oh. And, but I was just determined. I just, wow. I had to walk and I couldn't do anything for myself. Um, I just had to walk and it was within one month, I progressed to a leg with a knee bend right. and I, 
I walked with that and I actually, I set a goal that I was going to walk out of hospital because I was being pushed in the wheelchair everywhere and I thought I just want to stand and take a couple of steps in this leg, which I managed to do and I had a bent, I'd progressed to a bent knee by that stage. Then when I came home to Australia, it sort of lasted about, you know, two months because my stump was shrinking and I thought it was just a minor adjustment, you know, all that had to do was whatever, and they just couldn't do it and they couldn't make any adjustments to this this London leg. I kept on saying, oh, it's just because my stump was only about five centimetres long and I just said it's so painful walking. And they just said, you have to realise that you're above an amputee, it's, it's always going to be a bit uncomfortable. And I said, I know but I've got a very high pain threshold and this is like, mm-hmm. so I ended up going to my, my GP and I said, something is wrong here. So I said, can you do an X-ray? So I did the X-ray and I'd grown three spurs and one was digging out the side, one was outside, one was pointed down, then it defied gravity and came back up my stump and it was seven centimetres long. And that was, and I thought, oh, so then I walked around New South Wales for a good surgeon and I chose a surgeon, went to Sydney and had the operation and they did it. And I woke up that night after the operation I thought, the spur is still inside me. The main spur that was seven centimetres long, that was still there. And I said, what? This, and he said, no, you know, we'd have to make your stump shorter. And, you know, I said, my whole reason is just to get that one spur like the other two. So then I had to wait months, you know, months again. Have, and I looked for another surgeon and I thought, well, I'll just choose the same surgeon because at least he's been in there before. So I had it done again. And then and then it was removed and then it was, it was a lot of pain <laughs> again. And so I had that and then I put on some weight because I wasn't being able to move and then went back to the limb maker and they said, look, and they kept on trying and doing all these things and different legs. And so we just can't make it because you're too big. And I, and I wasn't, I'd put on weight, but I wasn't. Hmm. <laughs> and I said, okay, so that's what I have to do. I just, that's what I have to do. So then I started swimming and being more active and I was swimming 2Ks every day. In pool, Gosh. and within nine months, I'd lost 26 kilos. Wow! I went back to him, and he couldn't make it, so I leave that there. Sort of see you later. Thank yeah. you. And so I was asking around, and and someone told me in Sydney it was one of the best um, prosthetists there. So I went down there, and sure enough, he took me on, and he was fantastic, and we. I'd drive to Sydney a three-hour trip, sometimes longer, and some day I'd be up to four times a week. Wow. And sometimes in me might have only been an hour to make minor adjustments and we tried different types of legs and we tried doing all these strategies and I did that for 10 years. 10 and years? Yeah, for 10 years with this um, process. And then he said, look, we have tried everything. And I'd maintain my wide because I got down to 36 kilos and it was too, um, that was too low for me. Because wow. when I was playing wheelchair tennis and I was number one, I just didn't have the energy and the strength. So I actually 
put on 10 kilos before I went to the limb maker in Sydney. I put on 10 kilos, so I got up to 46. And then I've, I've remained that ever since that, that time. And he's, after 10 years, he just said, look, we just have to discharge you. So then after that, I thought, no, I have to walk because, because I was working on the crutches mm-hmm. and because I was so active, I'd torn the ACL on the right leg and it was collapsing on me and they wanted to do a knee replacement. I said, no way. And sure. in my accident, I'd broken five discs in the back and one of those breaks was a quarter of a millimetre for making me a paraplegic. So I was wearing the disc away in my back and they said, um, you'll end up in a wheelchair one day because it will gradually grind its way through. And I had to get spinal blocks every year. And sure. I thought, oh, I just have to, I need this leg. So I've got, if I had to walk on two legs, at least it would take some of the pressure off. Mm. So I got on the internet and I was going, every country, anyone with a short prosthesis, what they could possibly do. And I was filling in forms for any website I came across in whatever country. And then probably about mm, 18 months, two years later, I was at work on the crutches in the hospital and I got this phone call from a young surgeon and it was Munjed Almadiris. And I I told him more experiences that I'd, I'd had. And he said, well, come to Sydney and I'll see see if I can help you. So I thought, oh, yeah. So the next week I drove to Sydney and I saw it's back to Munjid and he said, you know, have you told about my previous operations? And he said, have you had radiation? And I said, yes, because there was I had to have it to prevent the spurs from returning. He looked at me X-ray and he said, sorry, can't help you because your stump is just too short. But then he just put the X-rays on this screen. And he just sat there looking at x-rays for about 10 minutes. And I didn't say a word because I had a good feeling about this. So I just sat there and waited. And then in the end, he just said, you know what? We might be able to do this. He said it's never been done anywhere in the world before. So I don't know if it's going to work. And I said, well, if it doesn't work, I'm going to be no worse off. I can't walk anyway. So that was the beginning of a life-changing situation. So the next month I went to Sydney and I had an operation to have an external fixator put on the side. What they did was they broke what was the five centimetres of my femur bone, broke that in half. They put the external fixator below and above the break and there was, it was sticking out the side of my hip and it had a screw on the end of it and I had to lengthen the femur bone a quarter of a millimetre every six hours. And oh, they'd, oh, <laughs> very painful. They weren't aware of how painful it was because it had never been done before on an amputation. So I'd set my alarm every six hours and he said look we don't know if it's going to work so every 10 days I had to drive to Sydney again and just do an x-ray to see if it was lengthening and every 10 days sure enough it had grown a centimetre 
And so I was I was having milkshakes and eating cheese and sitting in the sun for eight minutes every day. And I was working, nursing with this external fixator on the side of me on crutches. And goodness me. If I hadn't known how painful it was gonna be, I don't know if I yeah, it was just and we tried, I went to pain spit, nothing would control it. And I had to work and drive, and it was just. And they've decided now that they'll never do that again. They've got other things in place. But anyway, I just kept on going. And then every time I'd go to Sydney every 10 days, a couple of times, he'd say, okay, we're going to stretch this a little bit longer. So we'd stretch it, turn it a couple of times, and go, oh, I'd feel, I'd, then it was fine, but I'd be feeling it the next day. And, oh. and then I thought, if this is what it needs to take, I thought I'd, I'll do it. <laughs> And then Munji wanted me to go an extra, you know, 20 days. And I said, look, we we kept on lengthening every 10 days and we got to the 12 centimetres. We wanted to go a bit more. So I went a little bit more just in case something. Mm-hmm. He wanted to go further again. I said, no. I said, that's good. So we did that. And then I said, we're not out of the woods yet because we really don't know when it hasn't been done before if you're going to consolidate. Sure. So well, I had the external fixator removed and I think it was about two months later or however long later, went back and um, Germany had to make an implant that was 12 centimetres long for the osseointegration progress process. So Germany had made the implant and Munji had designed it and they'd done x-rays and CTs and we sent it over there and Munji got to that together and then it was ready to put the implant in. So they inserted the implant up through the middle of the femur bone mm-hmm. and that settled down for a while. And then I gradually, it was, it was painful, but it was going to get me walking again. So I gradually got walking. I'd started on two. I had to... Initially, I had to do some loading and I had to load up to 52 kilos for the leg because I'm one of the first ones to have osseointegration in Australia. And I didn't even weigh 52 kilos. And I had to pull on the exercise bars to pull up there to get it on. And then I had all this pain from I said, this is because they changed different processes from what I've been to and that was great. And then so I went, I walked... You know, I had two um, crutches at first because we didn't know how the bone was going to react. And then I went to one crutch and then I went to no crutches and then I started walking. It was fantastic. And then I had this prosthesis, it was just a, a regular one, and they realised because I had the short, I had the longest leverage in the world because being with the stump and the, the leg just kept on collapsing underneath me. And doesn't matter how correctly I was walking, I'd just be walking. I was in here one day in my office and I was walking and at the end of this desk there's a point and I, I, I fell over on the leg and knocked myself unconscious back there. And there was when I regained consciousness, there was blood on the floor and I had to drive my um drive to the GPs and I, I said Can, to stitch me up. And then I rang Munji and he said, look, you actually go, you're going to break your hip or something. You can't have that leg. The only leg that's going to be suitable for me is a bionic leg. 
Mm -hmm. And like it was 60 grand. So I thought it was just out of the question for the leg. And then so I did processes in place and that's the only leg I could have. So then um put things in place to actually get this leg and I needed it as soon as possible. So I went on TV because people heard about me being the TV program, um, Channel 3, heard about me lengthening my femur bone. And then when I was on TV for that, someone else saw me from another TV channel. And Chris, she they then followed my surgeries that I was having with osteointegration because I was the first in the world for it. So they followed me for a couple of years um, and how I was progressing and, like, you know, playing the music. And then um, I was on the Sunday night program with Chris Bath and with, with Munjed to how it developed. And I actually was supported in getting the, the sea leg. And it was just fantastic. And now I've got this yeah. sea leg. I feel so tall because I've been on crutches. I'm still on crutches every day. And just, oh, I thought, I'm only five foot one, but I was so tall and I was standing up straight and and just to have my hands free again. And the you knew the difference, how solid it was, you know, how supportive it was and is. And it's just brilliant. And like, I have to charge it every night. Make sure plug it in, charge really? it up. Yep. Cool. And I can't, I can't go near water or sand with it. So I have a aquatic leg, mm-hmm. but this is just brilliant. This sea leg, it's just fantastic. It's just back to normal again. And I have little party tricks with it. Of course, I went there, train um hit me. It sort of twisted my hips around a bit. So, and then I was sitting next to Munjed in hospital when I was recovering and I was trying to sit with my legs together and it just was out to the left and said, you can't be like that. So I've got this adapter on the leg hmm. and sort of when I sit down, I can move it. And with this adapter, I can do party tricks. I can turn it upside down. Look, I can put my drink on here, the rest of there. I can't do that. That's pretty amazing. Some parents probably developed for the Asian countries because when they sit down, they sit cross-legged. So there was this little at the knee joint where mm-hmm. I can and getting in the carts, and it's fantastic. And then it's just because now I'm, I'm work like I'm still nursing, but right. it's, yeah. I'm not on crutches. It's just I adapted, you know, into how, but it's yeah. just so much better having your hands free and. I haven't had a spinal block since I've got my prosthesis. I made the bionic leg. I haven't needed a spinal block because I'm not relying on the crutches and every yeah. day with it. And so you're just... not weight loading the other part of your spine anymore. No. And, and, and my and hands, they... I was having problems with my shoulders. They was because they were going because I was full on. I was pretty active yeah. Yeah, working sure. on the crutches. So it's yeah. just such a relief. You, you say on your website that, that one of the things you, you've been looking forward to do was to actually be able to stand and hug someone at the same time. Yeah, just being able to cuddle someone with two oh, hands and anyway. she'd have crutches and they'd be getting the way. Yeah. But just yeah. being able to just give someone a hug, just as simple as that. <laughs> oh, that's, that's, that's just, God, what a, what a journey. What what a, you can adapt. There's, all, you, there's always sure. a way. Just look for the solutions and there's possibilities. It's just... Yes, adapt. Well, well, that that started with your your refusals to die, obviously. And I I, I love the way, I love the way you said, yeah. And then the meningitis, 
Yeah. We'll just brush over that one. We'll see because when they acted like I had um, my left leg was ripped off immediately. Right. Yeah. My right leg was semi-detached. My left hand was dangling by a thread. My eyes had been squeezed out of their sockets and were hanging out of my head. Oh, my God. And brain particles were wrenched out and scattered across the tracks. My, my skull was so badly smashed and shattered that later the doctors likened it to an eggshell that had been dropped from a 10-storey building. Wow. Um, yet um, yet you, I was you, still alive. Do you, do you and consider yourself lucky, Marnie? I've, well, I've, I've got my hospital notes and I read them and I'd been working the trauma units in London for three years mm. and I had seen some people that were hit by a train and no one had survived. Mm-hmm. And then when I got them in, like, yeah, I'm here for a good reason. I'm here for something, like, and I think, well, I have to use my experiences and I'm just, I'm not like, I'm nothing special. I'm just like you. I've just, it's just looking at things the right way mm-hmm. and just yeah. persevering, think, well, and just being patient and persistent. Like, I, you can't be positive all the time and you can fly off the handle, but just, yeah, you get through it. And just. What What's the name of your book going to be called then? <laughs> well, I've been writing it for five years and, and it will be out oh. this year. Okay. Mm-hmm. But I've, um, it's going to be, I think, small steps. Big outcomes because every even when I was a young from child before my accident and even after my accident, it's just the small steps can lead to big outcomes. Even when I was in hospital, um, the first thing after aim for after my accident was some form of independence. Mm-hmm. And on the thirteenth of December. I sat up in bed for the first time after regaining consciousness and I needed assistance to sit up. I lifted my head off the pillow and when my head was not supported, I could stay there briefly and then I just lost control of my head and trunk. But I was so excited about this because I had improved slightly. It was hard emotionally and physically. Mm-hmm. And but it was confronting because I was not able to do what my mind wanted me to do. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it was a small win, just the same. And in the physical condition I was in, I had to celebrate any small gain because I could not do anything on my own. Right. At that point, I was too weak to speak. I was only capable of watching what was going on around me, but I was determined to be independent again and and walk again. You know, it was a, like as I said, it was about about a couple of weeks after my accident, mm-hmm. and I had the first cast of my prosthesis to get me going, and I was held up with metal clamps around my waist, but with extensive efforts. <laughs> I progressed to a leg with a knee bend within one month. Mm-hmm. And the time frame for this amount of progress varies. 
and can take up to 12 months to achieve. I was just determined to walk again one day. But <laughs> on the 25th of January, I had a great day as I was taken for my first walk outside in a wheelchair along Westminster Bridge. And this is where I ate my first piece of solid food in about eight weeks. Wow. A chicken nugget. Whoa, easy, Tiger. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Up until then, I was fed by a nasogastric tube. Yep. And I was only allowed to sip thickened fluids because of how affected my whole body had been by the accident. Wow. But I just wanted to eat and taste real food. So I cautiously took a small bite and I managed to swallow it. Not standard medical recommendations at that stage, (laughs) but it was glorious. It was, it is hard to believe, but that one chicken nugget meant so much to me at the time. And it's, it's just those little steps like that just have made so much difference. And that was just in while I was still in hospital. That's mm. not the my 16 year journey and everything I've gone through to get my leg. And it's it's but if you can be patient and persevere, being resilient, you can adapt in some ways. It's not great all the time, but it's, if you're it's determined like, enough, it's amazing. What oh. <laughs> It sounds like every step of your journey, you've made the mm. most. Tell us more about this wheelchair tennis. Oh, because I was, I was when I was living because I had to live in the Braintree unit for a year when I came back to Australia. Mm-hmm. And while I was living in the Braintree, I knew I wanted to get back to nursing, and I thought to get there, I have to increase my fitness level. I'm going to be working on crutches, so mm-hmm. then I was swimming every day. Um, doing two kilometres every day. And within 12 months, I was um, competed in the state championships of swimming and I won five gold medals. I also wow. represented New South Wales in dressage with riding for the disabled. Yeah. I was cantering around on a horse. And then there was this a friend of mine was trying to get me into, I played sitting volleyball and everyone was trying to get me into basketball. Okay. And I just... And I wasn't interested in, I've never been interested in netball, basketball, and I was trying to get into wheelchair basketball. I said no. So I thought, I went along with him to a wheelchair basketball. And when I was there, someone said about wheelchair tennis. I said, what? Wheelchair tennis? So then, no, I thought, I am at tennis. So I went to this, um, I played, a, there, was an inter, there was Sydney International for wheelchair tennis. So I just went in my red wheelchair that I had in hospital in London and I just played in a normal wheelchair in the, um, in the international competition and I hadn't played and I came runner up against a gentleman in these roundovers and then this guy who had developed wheelchair tennis, an older gentleman, he saw me and he said, what are you doing in this chair? I said, this is a wheelchair I've got for tennis. And I, you know, I didn't realise that stage he had cambered wheelchairs. Mm-hmm. So he said, um, no, you, we're going to get you into tennis. I thought, fantastic. So with Wheelchair Sports New South Wales, 
Um, David Hall, I had a chair of his and I used that chair for wheelchair tennis. And within a year, I was seated number one in Australia, traveling nationally and internationally in major um, sporting events. Wow. And it was brilliant. It was great. Yes. And I, I spent six months, because I was, I was winning fairly easily here in Australia. It was number mm. one. And I was traveling around nationally. And then I wanted to be a Paralympian. I was thought, I'm going to go to Beijing. So I mm-hmm. thought, no, to go to Beijing, Oh, because I had the ranking, I thought I had the seeding, I had to get my ranking position. So I thought I'd go to America and I did some tournaments in America. Mm-hmm. Um, so I travelled there and I got positions there. Mm-hmm. I got medals there. And so I was right. So I thought, okay, and I had my world ranking was up to 42 because the more you travelled so and the more competitions you can play, it increases. So I was number one in Australia with a world rank of 42 and I thought, I've got there, I'm there to Beijing. But then when Beijing came, there was a bit, it was a bit political and I wasn't sent. So um, That's a shame. So, which was a shame when I did all that. So with, with the political reasons and I just pulled out tennis and I loved it, but, um, but it was great. And you I played in, to get my, I didn't play against people. In a, I'd travel to Sydney every day to play with some guys at Homebush in a wheelchair. But just locally, um, I'd just play in the able body competitions with everyone else on a Monday night or when you know whenever, and it was mm-hmm. fantastic. It was great. It was brilliant. So it wasn't, and I'd just go and play in the wheelchair tennis competitions, but I'd just play locally against everyone because with me, like you in wheelchair tennis, you're allowed a two bounce rule, but right. at the level, the elite level, I was playing it like. You'd, you'd very rarely use it. If they do a drop shot over the net, it was a bonus to get those two bounces. I, I always allow myself a two-bounce rule when I'm playing. <laughs> Sometimes three. <laughs> as long as you're out there enjoying it, that's amazing. Yeah, it lands flat and I can scoop it. That's a taker as well. <laughs> well, I've been contacted because um, I, when I went to America and I was playing intense, like, I, I also tore Dissima back and I had to have another spinal block and I was laying flat. And it's only like the end of last, like this year, I've been approached and they want me to um, get adaptive tennis going in the state. Adaptive so tennis? Adaptive tennis. And I thought, well, well I said before adaptive. I, no, they wanted me to, they had an adaptive tennis locally because where I, when I was number one in Australia, I helped a local, my coach, mm-hmm. get a grant for his tennis court. And they have 13 courts there with grass courts. And they've left one court for me, a hard court. Right. For wheelchair tennis. Right. And the wheelchair, I was approached and said, let's get adaptive tennis going. And said, we'll organise this day. It was in two weeks' time. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. And I couldn't attend because I was asked by um, the Lions Club to do a speech for them. Right, and so I haven't been able to play adaptive tennis with um, with anyone. I thought I thought once I have a go, once they can organise for me to play adaptive tennis with people, well then I'll be on board and trying to get that running in the state. What what? what pardon me for asking, Marnie. What, what is adaptive? Well, I I can't. Exp- I haven't played it yet. It's just um, it's you don't have to be in a wheelchair to play. Like it's anyone of any age. You can have a disability. You can not have a disability. 
using a, the full size court, the normal rules. So I just don't know. It's just a social hit. So I just I have to look more into it. I just quickly had a look on the net. It was going in America, but it was big, and I thought, well, I'm not going to. I don't want to get on the. I just want to experience it first, and then, and whoever's around me, I'll be able to. I'll be able to develop and and promote it in the state here. So oh, right. well, learning curve. That's see what happens this year with it. Wow. <laughs> and you're still working as a nurse. Yeah, I'm still. Um, I'm in a doctor's surgery doing chronic disease management and I also work in the hospitals, which is fantastic. But yeah. so, and is that a full-time like, job? Is it part-time? It's part-time, but I've – and but I'm really trying to get into speaking, so that's why I've written my book. And it's just – I've been writing for five years and I thought it's just – it's not going to be perfect and it's it's just – explain what I've overcome in my life, just little things. And I thought it's just and I've mentioned everything. So once the book's out there, there are there are different areas mm -hmm. that people might want me to speak on. So I've I've all I have to because there was a lot of um with my mother passing away and the surgery. So I thought all I have to do now is I've written it, but I just want to go back and then I didn't do anything last year. I just want to read over and put my emotions into it. That's all right. I have to do, write some yeah. emotions, and then I'll send it to my publisher to get it get it done. And, and then I just want to get, you know, I want to create value for people. And so you, you do you do, do speak, you do do talks, don't you, and, and supportive talks. And you, you Well, I did, not at all last year with COVID, right. but I did all these courses and I'm with this group at the moment having Zoom lessons to help me get some speaking together. Mm -hmm. And I did a um, fundraising event um, last year, but I'm, I wanted to try and get into I just wanted because I was speaking for Rotary and Probus or senior citizens. And when I was having wheelchair tennis, I, I spoke at schools for that. But I thought I just want to, you know, people would ring me at the last minute and say, can you talk about this? And then so I'd write notes and what they wanted to remind me what they wanted to talk about. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, no. I want to develop this talk that I don't need notes for. Mm -hmm. This is my experience. And then I could just adapt that to whoever I'm talking to. So that's what yeah. I'm developing. I just want to do at the moment. And I, I like, I really love nursing and I, I will continue it, but I want my main, main job to be hopefully speaking. And so, is, I mean, I, I've, I've been privileged enough in, in my time to, to work with some very interesting people um, like mm. the, the psychologist Steve Peters at British Cycling um, mm. and David Brailsford is, is always one for talking about um, incremental gains and that yeah. if, he, you know, if you can make a 1% difference in, in one area and you make a 1% difference in 20 areas, the, that builds to a, to a major impact in whatever it is that you're doing so yeah. your story reminds me very much of, of that sort of thing in, in that you mm. you went piece by piece by piece so yeah. is is that sort of part of your your message is that what you want to to sort of convey to to people is, is making each small difference and being thankful yeah. with every small gain that you get yeah just one step at a time you know right. it's just <laughs> 
and celebrating small wins as well. Right. You know, it's it's just it's just being patient and persevering like with my like when with my brain injured, I couldn't move my left side and my left side is still weaker now. Mm-hmm. But um you know, trying to walk because my I've got a left leg amputation, so trying to get when I was in hospital in London, but when I when I came home, because I almost lost my left hand, I had a it was a hole through it. And so and I love the violin. I've been playing since I was an infant and the doctors in London believe that's why I've recovered so well because I've learned violin music from such a young age. Right. But I've been playing the violin even though I could still play and having to control use the bow and the fingers with my left side, that was probably the best form of exercise I could use my brain for recovery. And I've got, you know, normal joys of brain that it changed itself. It's it is it, it's remarkable. It's just amazing. And you, you can't you, things like that you can't do straight away. And then I read my hospital note and I'm thinking, oh, because I had my right frontal lobe was ripped, ripped out completely, and there was low there was piece of brain in each lobe that were just gone. But pieces other areas of my brain have taken over, and I, it's just I know I'm. When I first came back, I, there was a heaviness in my head, mm-hmm. and like if I, if I'd move my eyes, my head would sort of. I thought I just had to. It was just a gradual process, mm-hmm. and I've. It's yeah, just it can get there. That's so I had to. I had to remain determined. If I just threw it in through the towel, mm-hmm. no, I wouldn't be as good as I am today. I wouldn't. Wouldn't achieve. But it, it's just amazing what what we're actually capable of when we really want to. Have you always been a positive person, Marnie? Yeah. Have you always been determined? You Do mentioned you... The, the violin. Will you, will Sorry, you play us a tune now? Oh. What we normally do, you see, Marnie, is, is we have a section on the show called, called 60 Seconds CD. I don't know how in tune it is. I've just been asked to play for the... um. The very popular theatre company, I think it's called, for chess. Because we were going to play it last year and it was cancelled with um, COVID. Right. But I was asked yesterday and I think it's on in um, next month sometime. The the cast has been playing, so we do a couple of rehearsals or something. That'll be good. Mm, Fantastic. I don't know. Hey, Ma, it's a little Irish tune. Just a... I haven't played it for a long time. I think the words are, hey, Ma, when I go home, boys can't leave, the girls alone or something. <laughs> that's, that's something that's, that's quite an Irish connection there, isn't it? There's quite an Irish yeah. connection in the area that you live in, isn't there? Oh, yeah, there's an, 
Irish pubs around, but there's not a don't run into a lot of Irish. Oh, I think there's I think there's a bit. But of I think there's a lot of Irish around this year. I, I think there's a particularly famous Irishman from uh, from near your area, isn't there? Uh, he used to he used to um, he, he became quite famous because I think he he built himself a suit of armor, and he took on the um, the constabulary, did he not? His Old name was Ned, Ned Kelly. Old Ned. <laughs> Oh, Ned. <laughs> Why you say that, money makes you... Oh, well, I'm not Ned again. No. Oh, Ned. Oh, Ned, yeah. yeah he, he's yeah. the ne'er-do-well of the area. We <laughs> yeah, we don't, we don't talk about Ned, yeah. I know his cousin, you know. And... <laughs> did, did, you, did you know, I mean, you and I met for the first time just over a year ago, didn't we? And, uh, yes, yeah. And uh, I remember it quite well. I was, I was furious when I got back to Sydney and found out where I'd been and how close I'd been to um, to the home of Ned Kelly and his, his his grandmother's house, which is now I think just a chimney stack in a field. But um, but mm. I, I was most disappointed. I found that out retrospectively, and um, I, I had the privilege of being able to go off and, and do a bit of travelling down the uh, down the east coast of, of Australia. Yeah. And was very very proud um, when somebody described me as a bush ranger <laughs> because, because I thought I I, I thought hmm. right I heard the word ranger hmm. this is a good thing because I was thinking of, of like the the rangers the park rangers in America who who look after all the wildlife and the national park <laughs> and are friends to Yogi Bear. And a friends to Yogi Bear and people like that. Well, I'd, I'd had a run-in with the constabulary in Queensland and, and had, had, had fled the state of Queensland and somebody said that I was a bushranger and I, I misunderstood because I thought they were talking about my interactions with kangaroos and, and, and Australian wildlife. And, and it turned out that bushranger in Australia is not a very good thing to be, is it, Marnie? No. No. Some people, he's famous, but some people think, well, this idolising this guy who killed everyone. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I have to say, I, I didn't kill anybody whilst I was in no. the <laughs> It was a little misunderstanding. It was a little you misunderstanding. You had movies made about him, yeah, he's on there, but that's... And his tin head. It was 18-something, wasn't it? Oh, in the 1800s. 1800s or something like this. But uh, a, lot of our, a lot of our viewers and listeners are from America. Mm-hmm. And um, so here's this bushranger, Ned, and uh, he, he got himself his bulletproof vest on and uh, he decided he'd walk out and take on all of the uh, constabulary. And I think he forgot to cover his legs and his arms, didn't he? Mm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Rookie error. What are you going to go for? Rookie <laughs> error. If you're going to walk out in a suit of armour, make sure you've got your legs and your arms covered as well. That's right. Hold on a minute, guys. Just going back in for my sleeves. Ow, that was that was not fair. <laughs> that was not. Ow. <laughs> oh, dear. Especially with the, you wouldn't know how many snakes were around back those days either. You'd have to protect yourself in the bush. I never saw it. I'll tell you, there's, oh. two things, there's two things. Well, there's three things that I was warned about, about mm. Australia. One was snakes, one was spiders, and the other one was crocodiles. Mm. You'll never guess, yeah. Julian, what I didn't see whilst I was in Australia for over a month. Was it snakes and crocodiles? 
Keep going. <laughs> you see some sharks, though? No, I didn't. didn't ah, well, there we go. So there's that as well. I wasn't, warned, I wasn't warned about sharks because I, I probably wasn't going to go swimming <laughs> in, in the right place to see sharks. And, and, and yeah. Yeah. And the spiders. <laughs> They, they don't exist. <laughs> they don't exist, do they? Or do you have a cuddly creatures there? I've seen them. Yeah. Oh. They're little bears, they go like that, and they're really cuddly. Oh, koala bears. Oh. I was going to work one day and I could just... I just felt like someone was watching me. And I, and I just... I just... I just turned my head and looked out my garage and across the road were these three kangaroos. And I thought, oh, wow. Less than 50 metres away, I thought, this is fantastic. But then, and it's when I started the car, they drove off. But then I've had a lot of run-ins with snakes. Have you? Um, oh, where I grew up, I grew up in Acres. And I was riding the horse in the paddocks around us. We jumped over this tree trunk that had fallen over. And when we jumped over it, we saw a brown snake with the babies there. And Felicity, my horse, shied in midair. And then when she landed, I fell off. And then she bolted home and I just froze and thought, where is this snake? And then then I just bolted home, probably as fast as Felicity. Got in the yard, she was in, down the horse's paddock, so I didn't say anything to Mum. I just got inside the house. So I just lied on the lounge. Then I heard this thud in between the legs. And then I looked down and it was a baby brown snake. And so I looked behind at Mum. Mm-hmm. And she was just reading a newspaper or something. And so I just froze. Mm-hmm. And then this just went under my left thigh and into the lounge. And I jumped up and, oh. And then between Christmas and New Year this year, and I, was, and I just, I almost tried to, it was a mother brown. She was about one and a half metres. And I thought, oh, my God. So I put my prosthesis to it. And I just, I thought you can wrap yourself around that one. That and I not. just, because <laughs> I think, oh, I'll just get moving with Harley, just making no vibrations. I realised, I just went and checked around on the fly screens. When I did that, I realised that under the fly screen, it wasn't rubber how I used to where I grew up with. It was just brush. It, so it can easily get under the fly screen. So I, yeah, I had to corner myself off and then the snake catchers were on holidays because of the time of year and and he just stayed here for three days and I knew because I had the kookaburras come and they they sit on the back porch and I had the magpies come and the peewees and and they weren't coming anywhere for three days and then I, no one would come to my house to just help get rid of it so I ended up getting a friend to bring the mower around and make some noise and that got him away. But that's one of the second deadliest ones in the world. So that's yeah. why I thought, yeah, Honestly. yeah. I, I, have, I deal with a few snakes in, in my practice. And yeah. I, I'm the only one in the practice who tends to see them. And about four years ago, I had a client phone up, quite a sensible client, and he's a bit out hmm. about it. I said, uh, said Julian, I've, I've no idea where it's come from, but we've got a hooded cobra in the back garden. I said, you're kidding. He said, yeah, we've trapped it under a plant pot, but um, oh. you have a the, the, the contact number for someone to go and get it. And I said, look, you're not going to be able to get anyone to go and get it um, because I've, I've tried before. 
uh, I'll I'll come along. I've got my snake catching gear. I'll, I'll come along. Are you certain? They said, "Yeah, absolutely certain." It's a small one, but we're we're, we're certain. I said, "Okay." So um, I thought, just in case it's a spitting cobra, I'll take uh, a visor. I took my my thick gloves and my little pointy uh, snake catching stick and a bag, and um, I went along. And I told them to stay inside the house, and they were there, you know, downing these whiskey as quickly as you could. <laughs> And, uh, and there was this huge plant pot, you know, two, two three feet high plant pot right. uh, in the middle of the patio that they'd whacked upside down onto this thing. And um, I lifted one end up, slowly got down, looked at it, flipped the plant pot over, took my gloves off and picked up this little, little bitty grass snake. It was so cute. With that big, and I put it in my pocket and I said Aww. to them, I'll take it to uh, I'll take it to the park and let it out. They went, huh. not a hooded cobra. They said, no, no, grass snake. <laughs> not venomous. No, 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 no. Absolutely harmless. <laughs> oh. Sorry for wasting your time. <laughs> oh goodness me! <laughs> uh, yeah, we don't we don't tend to get too many nasties out here, do we? I, I met a couple of kangaroos whilst I was there. And um, was, was taken you were beaten to... up by one. No, 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 I wasn't beaten up by it. No, I gave as good as I got. <laughs> he was beaten up, Marnie. He was by a by a. Yeah. <laughs> I, I did actually get the boot. I was stand. I was crouching at the time and uh, felt this this thing on my neck. I thought, I wonder what that is. Looked over my shoulder to see this. Bloody great Roo grabbing hold of my, my collar. I thought, mm, this is interesting. And uh, as I started to stand up, she got a proper purchase. And uh, yeah, she, she gave me a kick with the back legs and sort of glanced, mm. glanced off my hip. She then ran off down the beach with, with a couple of her relatives, was explaining in, in sort of very, very roughy tufty terms how she'd seen the palm off. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. That was uh, that was quite an experience getting beaten up by a kangaroo at dawn. On the- <laughs> <laughs> <Brilliant>. <laughs> and I've travelled a lot of places in the world and a lot of places I love, but it's oh, it's so great here being home. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a lot of extremes, yeah. but you just you get through it, and you look know, in the fire. It's just drastic, you know. Mm. For people, it makes people strong. People, people wouldn't agree with it makes them stronger because if dealing with so much and you know, some floods, some fires, and but it's everyone supports one another and you, you pull your rally down somehow and yeah. everyone gets through. There's a, there's a real can do attitude, isn't there? It's uh, yeah, and, and it's there's a can in every can't. You just look at what you can do and just yeah. Yeah, I like that. I've not heard that one before. I like that too. Yeah. It's good. That's yeah. what I. That's what I. That's one of my mantras. There's a can in every car. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I like what that. you can do. That's brilliant stuff. So tell me, Julian. Yes. We we we've, we've sort of diverted from our usual format to, to have money. Not normally, Julian prepares a CPD certificate. Um, because mm-hmm. normally we 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 do sort of clinical CPD and and. Yep. Uh, things around that to a certain extent we've sort of covered some of that 
on, mm-hmm. on the medical side already. But I think I think we have because one of the most important and and most overlooked aspects of CBD these days mm-hmm. is um, mental well-being. Mm-hmm. And yep. and I think Marnie has shown us how incredibly important it is uh, to maintain that mental well-being. Uh, your, your positive mental attitude and, mm. and your, your positivity generally has, has got you through it's me I mean more more injuries more personal distress than than the majority of us w- w- would see in, in our entire ancestry over the course of many generations and and, and I think um, that certainly is worthy of, of a certificate uh, and so so I had prepared one just in case we did that <laughs> Um, so here we go now what i've done um i thought you could probably read that it's upside down there you go Uh, so let's turn that upside down there we go and it says um it says this certifies that all you possums have been in the presence of a megastar cpd provider yet again and it's and it's signed uh, in, in deference to your country, it's signed Bruce and Bruce. <laughs> and obviously we've got some kangaroos there. Yeah. Kangaroos, all skippy there, all skip. Yeah. Yeah. And what, what Mike doesn't know is, although I've never been to Australia, I'm actually quite an accomplished surfer. So there's me surfing. This I thought may, may be quite apt. So, so here we go. This is this is a rather gloomy picture of a, mm-hmm. of a very thunderstormy mountain view. Mm-hmm. But oh, you get some great sceneries up high and beautiful views. Oh, now here is here is the same mountain. This is seen during the day. This is um, uh, Egli oh, uh, de Petit Vert, which I, I climbed a few years back. Uh, yeah. And, and in the evening, so, sorry, the following morning, we, mm. we got this. So I was rather apt that actually, even in the gloomiest of times, although there mm. may be a mountain to climb, there's often a very bright dawn at the end of it that's worth waiting for. Yeah. yeah. So, there that's we go. Spot on. Yeah. My CPD certificate. You're so happy. That's lovely. <laughs> Thank you, Mark. That's brilliant. So true. So true. On, on our meeting today, please. Yes, certainly. Yeah. And fabulous is that. Great. <laughs> well reflected. <laughs> well reflected. <laughs> I don't know. I shall raise a to you for that, Marnie. And, and for a, an amazing, amazing <laughs> CPD. Amazing positive, amazing story. Um, can I ruin it by telling an awful joke? Hit us with it. What, what's your joke about tonight, then, June? So it's, it's about a man and a woman who, um, the, the, the woman says to the man um, uh, that they've been married for, for, for a long time, she says, uh, if, if, I, if I die, would you, would you sell the house? He said, well, if, if you die, well, what's, that's awful. What do you mean if you die, would I sell the house? An awful thing to say. God, I can't ruin the day. I can't think of something like that. It's awful. Why, why do you even mention that? Shall I just, it's been bothering me. So I, 
no, I, okay, what I said, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't sell the house. I, I don't know. I, it's a nice house. I like it. I'll, I'll stay. And uh, she said, okay, well, would you sell the bed? Would you leave the subject alone? I don't, I don't want to think about this. It's awful. She said, I just want to know, you know, would you, would you sell the bed? Well, it's a good bed. It's, why would I sell it? No, I wouldn't sell the bed. Ridiculous. But what, what about, what about our, our crockery that we collected together? Oh, look, please leave the subject. I just want to know. All right. Well, no, it's, it's decent crockery. Why would I, I wouldn't sell it. I keep it. It's, it's nice crockery. Well, would you sell my golf clubs? No, she's left-handed. She couldn't use them. <laughs> oh, Here we go. All right, then, you ready? Go on, then. A spider, a snake, and a kangaroo walk into a bar. Mm-hmm. Normal day in Australia. <laughs> <laughs> Mummy, can I, can I say, it's lovely to see you again. It really oh, is. Lear Lard, great seeing you again. <laughs> lovely to meet you, Gillian. And you, lovely. <laughs> really nice. Um, and I have to say, thank you so much for sharing so much in, in such a way with us. Um, well, it's been quite I'm a- just really grateful that you have, have speak with you today. So thank you for asking me. It's great. <laughs> Not at all. It really has. Not at all. It's, you know, it's absolutely it's- fabulous. Because it's like it's our decisions, not the conditions of our life, really, that create our destiny. Mm-hmm. Because like magic happens when we stretch ourselves and work towards something. It's just incredible, and we're all able to do it. It's 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 brilliant. <laughs> and and there you are as living. It's like. Yeah. It's like small steps do create big outcomes, and it's up to you to illustrate the life you want to lead. We should have got you to do a 60 second CPD. <laughs> <laughs> you need to get on that inspirational speaker circuit there. I can't wait to see your book when it comes out, Marnie. Just don't forget on the um, on the dedication you know, to my two best friends, Mike and Julie. Whatever, whatever. You know, not, don't, don't <laughs> A small, yeah, small, small steps, big outcomes. Big outcomes, like Marnie Kringle. Pleasure speaking with you, Marnie, as it ever is. And uh, it's, it's been lovely to see you and you see your bright beaming smile and your positivity as ever. Undim. Yeah. So, Marnie Kringle, I'd like to say thank you very, very much for joining us. And if you've enjoyed listening to Marnie, um, catch up with her. She's on the internet and uh, she is available for doing speaking. Her book's coming out next year. Um, small steps, big outcomes, um, which we're all looking forward to. And if you've liked what you've heard, don't forget to click like, follow, share it with some friends who who also would probably like it. So, on behalf of Veterinary Ramblings, Marnie Kringle, thank you very much indeed, and may your dog go with you. <laughs> may your dog go with you, Mike. And <laughs> you also, Lovely to meet you. All right then. Thank you ever so much. Bye, bye, Mike. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for a good morning. (laughs) All good. Thank you. See you. Bye. Bye.